Welcome to the Nordonia Hills Branch Library podcast on nonfiction, a discussion of nonfiction specifically and reading generally. This month's podcast, Apples of Uncommon Character. When you walk into the library or contact us online or via email or call us on the phone, you will be assisted by staff people with a wide range of knowledge or subject specialties. People who have developed expertise in certain subjects through education, training, and experience. On top of that, library staff are like anybody. We have folks on staff here at the library that are wonderful gardeners, crafters, musicians, people who are up on the latest fashions, people who are collectors, People who are Civil War buffs or trivia mavens, sports fans, makers, and on and on and on. And the wonderful thing about a library is that when you develop a new interest or a new hobby or something you need to know more about, it stands ready to provide information so that you can develop that interest, develop that subject expertise. Now, I've talked about this other times on the podcast where... I do try and plan out the topics or the books that we'll be discussing from month to month. But sometimes a book will come in that looks promising or looks interesting or just looks too good to pass up, and plans will change. Well, last month we wrapped up our Halloween podcast somewhat late in the month, and then we had another topic all set for November, ready to go. And then a book came across the desk and I said, let's do this book instead. Now, I imagine the Ohio farmers have pretty much wrapped up their harvest for 2014, and this week we're seeing the first signs of the winter is yet to come, gracing our neighborhoods. And with that in mind, we thought we'd try to hang on to the harvest time feel just a little bit longer and go with apples. Our primary book that we're going to discuss today is called Apples of Uncommon Character. 123 Heirlooms, Modern Classics, and Little-Known Wonders, written by Rowan Jacobson. Now, to be honest, I am not an apple expert by any stretch of the imagination. Fourteen days ago, right around Halloween week, I knew as much about apples as I would imagine most people do. I gained my knowledge of apples from the aisles of supermarkets, from the occasional visit to a roadside stand, or perhaps a jaunt to markets in West Akron or down in the valley on Riverview Road. I knew vaguely that there were a number of varieties of apples, that they grew on trees, and that one apple a day keeps the doctor away. So when this book showed up on the desk, it piqued my interest. This book, Apples of Uncommon Character, is brilliant. Loads of information wonderful photography, top-notch photography, and the story of 123 different varieties of apples, most of whom I've never heard of, and I would imagine you haven't either. First out of the gate, just going through the table of contents, I learned something that I did not know, that apples are divided not only by variety or geography, but also by what type of an apple it may be. Mr. Jacobson breaks them down into six different types. Summer apples, dessert apples, bakers, or saucers, those that are used primarily for baking or applesauce making, keepers, which are ones that 
If you pick them in the fall, they really aren't at peak quality. You have to kind of let them sit in your root cellar or somewhere nice and cool and dry. And as time goes by, the apple develops more quality. Apples that are used for cider making. And then his last category is called oddballs. Apples that are around today primarily because they have some unique feature, whether it be shape or color or some other aspect of the fruit. When you read through this book, you're put in the mind of wine tasting or wine connoisseurs. Although I'm not a wine connoisseur, it's almost a stereotype to hear all the different adjectives that wine people use to describe varieties of wine. The author takes a page from that playbook and uses it here. In this book, the flavor of apples are described by his adjectives including nutty, lemony, like a persimmon, earthy, cork-like, which doesn't sound like a really good apple to me, lime, rum, nutmeg, wintergreen, vanilla, grape, rose, melon, juicy fruit gum, an almond cookie, mints, tarragon, iced tea, cream soda, and then the usual suspects, tart, crisp, acidic. The author is no stranger to being able to describe the flavor of an apple, and he is very convincing in terms of he has tasted these, he has sampled these, and he has his own personal opinions, which of course colored the narrative, but they're also wonderful because it puts the reader right in the frame of mind that he was when he ate that and gives you a wonderful description of how each apple variety may go down. He takes the time to explain where you can find these varieties these days. And some of these varieties are exceedingly rare. In some cases, these varieties are only saved because of individuals. Seriously, one person who made it their mission to save a variety of apple that otherwise would be lost to history. That is an ongoing theme that runs through this book. The idea that one person, even driving down a country road or out past an orchard or an old farm, and sees a tree bearing fruit that is unusual or striking, and then they wind up pursuing that tree and its fruit and finding out more about it, and in some cases, actually saving a variety long thought gone. Being a city boy, I always thought, well, if you want an apple tree, you plant apple seeds. The thing about apples is, if you plant a seed from one apple, you're not guaranteed to get identical fruit on your new tree. The way to preserve types of apple varieties is through grafting, where you actually take a cutting from the tree and graft it onto another tree. And even then, you're not guaranteed to get the exact same type of apple. A lot of the varieties that are in this book, as well as in the apple world in general, are varieties that have parenting from another variety. For example, there's a variety called the Pink Lady. It actually is descended from the Golden Delicious, one type of apple, and the Lady Williams, which is another type of apple. So you have the stories about the people who save these rare varieties, and you have the stories about each of the varieties themselves, and that, of course, is the meat of the book. I'll tell you a few anecdotes and stories from within the pages here now. The oldest American apple variety is called Roxbury Russet, which is a New England apple. An apple tree sprung up on a hill overlooking the Massachusetts Bay Colony back in the 1600s. 
Its fruit was wonderful, and it spread throughout the New England area, and by the 1700s was the number one apple. It proceeded to spread with the growing of the country into New York, the Midwest, and even as far west as California. The big appeal for the Roxbury was the fact that it had a wonderfully long shelf life, would keep for quite a while. It is also featured in legend as the tree that ate Roger Williams. Roger Williams was the founder of Rhode Island. He passed away in 1683 and was buried on his own property in an unmarked grave. Almost 200 years later, in 1860, an attempt was made to exhume his body and transfer it to a classier monument or classier cemetery to give it its proper respect to Williams. But no sign was ever found of Roger. In the place where his grave supposedly was, was an apple tree, a Roxbury russet. They dug it up, and the root from that tree was shaped like a perfect human torso, legs, knees, and feet. They took that root, and they preserved it. And if you would like to see it today, it is still in the Rhode Island Historical Society in Providence, in a coffin-shaped box. An odd little end note to the story of the Roxbury russet. Among baking apples... One of the more notable varieties is called the Rome Beauty. The Rome in the name of this variety comes from Rome, Ohio. In 1817, a farmer gave his son a rootstock from this tree, and the son planted it, thinking he might be able to get some livestock feed off of it. In this case, however, the rootstock turned into a wonderful tree that grew some amazingly beautiful apples. The Rome Beauty is not much for eating fresh off a tree, but it is wonderful in pies and other baking dishes. Its nickname is the Queen of the Baking Apples, or the Baker's Buddy. And then there's the story of the York Imperial. In the early 1800s, there was a farmer by the name of William Johnson who lived near York, Pennsylvania. An older man, he was housebound, but he would sit by his window and watch people go by the lane every day. Each spring, William would notice that the local school kids would dig along outside, along the road in front of his house, underneath the leaf litter, beneath a particular tree. They would pull out these large red apples, and then they would eat them right there on the road. Mr. Johnson was impressed that any apple would last all winter underneath all those leaf litters and would be edible. So Mr. Johnson was able to get some of those apples for himself, and he tried them, and they were wonderful. So he brought this tree to the attention of a local orchardist who lived in York, Pennsylvania, a man named Jonathan Jessup. Jonathan grafted the tree in the 1820s and began selling young trees, which he called Johnson's Fine Winter. The big selling point was its keeping qualities. It would keep all winter long. Well, no one was interested in Jonathan's trees. So, fed up, he took all the trees and threw them down into a hollow near his place. Well, the thrifty farmers in the area heard that he had dumped all these trees down there in the hollow, so they came and salvaged them all up. And as they planted them around York, word got out that there was this extraordinary type of apple that had wonderful keeping qualities. Around 1850, the name of the variety was changed to York Imperial. By 1900, it was the leading apple variety of the southern Pennsylvania region. York Imperial survived to this day, and if you ever have a dish of Musselman's applesauce, there's a very good chance that you are eating York Imperials, because that is their primary sauce fruit. 
And fiction readers may be interested in the fact that David Morrell, most notably the author of the book First Blood, which spawned a number of movies, was searching for a name for his main character in this novel back in 1968. As he was thinking on this, his wife came home with a bunch of apples from a local farm stand. Morell picked one of the apples up, bit into it, and loved it. He asked his wife what variety this was. His wife said, Rambo. Thus, an action hero was born, named after an apple. Mr. Jacobson has these and dozens and dozens more stories of apple varieties throughout this book. He's a wonderful critic. He does not pull any punches, and he writes in a very conversational style, as if you were telling your neighbor across the back fence about a particular type of apple that you had just tried out. An apple that is better as a keeper than as a fresh-picked eater he describes as having all the charm of a croquet ball. It is that hard in hand when picked. And as lavish and descriptive as he is with all the tastes and nuances of apples out there in the apple world, he is unsparing in his criticism of certain varieties that he considers to have a wrongful place in the apple hierarchy, most notably the red delicious apple, for which he has no love for. And with good reason, he points out that the fact that the Red Delicious has such a striking color is something that has been bred into it, therefore increasing the redness at the sacrifice of the taste. And his criticism also remains hopeful in the fact that a lot of these varieties that are being rediscovered or preserved are helping to launch a second apple revolution, if you will, with a multitude of varieties serving the palates of this country and elsewhere. In some of his musings, he discusses how we may think that the colonials or the pioneers had better varieties of apples because they were closer to the land and things weren't on such an industrial scale that, like agriculture is these days. But he also points out certain varieties that have survived to the modern day from pioneer days. And in one case, he points out a certain variety that is worth a taste, if only to remind yourself that pre-industrial homesteaders endured crappy apples too. He writes with a sense of humor that is very refreshing. He takes us to the birthplace of all apples of the world. That place is Tian Shan, the heavenly mountains in Kazakhstan, in Asia. Although a lot of this area has been deforested, where there is still forests, two-thirds of the trees are apple trees, wild apple trees. Since every apple tree that grows from a seed is a new variety, there are literally millions of new varieties in this area of the world. Mr. Jacobson gives you over 40 plus pages of recipes as well, along with a handy glossary which does come in useful when you are reading about the apple descriptions that he provides. Coming in at a slim 310 pages, which if you consider that for each of the 123 varieties there is a full page photo accompanying it, it is both a quick read and a wonderful browser. If you get to the end of Jacobson's book and you're still thirsting to develop your knowledge and interest in apples, two other books to try out are Apples of North America by Tom Burford, who is actually mentioned in the Jacobson book at length and is listed as one of the acknowledged experts in the apple field. His book is brilliant in terms of covering not just 123, but actually 192 of apple varieties, and has a lot more information for the grower of apples to use. And the second book would be An Apple Harvest, Recipes and Orchard Lore by Frank Browning and Sharon Silva. 
This book is primarily a cookbook, but does have, like it said in the title, some apple lore. This is the book you go to when you're trying to find some more recipes that feature apples prominently. It has a number of wonderful ones. So there you have it. You go to the library, like I do, found a book about apples, and in less than two weeks, learned more about this subject than I had ever learned in my entire life. All courtesy of a wonderful author and his wonderful book, located at the wonderful library. Hopefully you have put by some keepers in your root cellar, some apples to get you through the coming cold winter months ahead. Hopefully this Thanksgiving season you'll have some wonderful apple pie to enjoy with family and friends. And pretty soon we'll all be looking at another spring and another season of apple trees growing in the Ohio sun and another harvest to look forward to next fall. Join us again next month when we'll discuss another topic on nonfiction. Until then, we'll see you at your Nordonia Hills Branch Library. Music by 20 Riverside, provided by Mevio's Music Alley. Music.mevio.com Thank you for listening.